Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Zephaniah. And if you weren't here last week, we did a uh, way too long uh, introduction to the book of Zephaniah. And, uh, and we're, if you're jumping in, you can go back and watch that. You might want to grab two cups of coffee. But um, we're going to, Zephaniah, just go to Matthew, go back uh, to the left three books, you'll find it. Uh, last week, we tried to cover the entire history of Israel in the first 18 verses. And today, we're just going to cover three verses in chapter two. So this will be quite the opposite of what it was last week. But what we said last week is that I gave the illustration of our puppy that uh, we kenneled him, and then we said, we can do this on our own. We don't need a kennel. And then we had to repent and put him back in the kennel. And we said that when we get off track and when God calls us out on that, the wrong path that we're on, the wrong attitude that we have, whatever that is, it's always difficult to hear that from the Lord. And today, Zephaniah deals with why it's difficult. And that is because we don't like to admit we're wrong. In fact, when we we talk about the idea of repentance and we talk about the idea of, of change, the Bible often refers to a remnant, a small group of people that respond. And when you think about last week's message that Zephaniah had, I'm going to come and I'm going to literally sweep away everything on the earth and disaster and, and the temple will be destroyed, all these things. And some people are like, eh, eh, well, that sounds bad. But here's the reason, because what God is calling us to is change. And so we jump into chapter two here, just a few verses. We're going to look at how, uh, God calls us to seek the Lord. He calls that to the shameless, to the humble, and then to us. Chapter 2, gather together. Yes, gather. O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Now, if you were here last week and you remember anything, you can tell, it seems like as we're reading this, the tone is a little bit different. Um, You know, compared to, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, or the great day of the Lord is near. I will be bring disaster on mankind. And now he says, let's gather together. Huddle up here. And just so you know, it sounds a little bit nicer than it actually is. The Hebrew, the idiom here is like when you gather uh, together uh, sticks for fuel or chaff. He says, gather together, you chaff that's going to be burned up. Okay, so the tone hasn't really changed any. Uh, It just sounds nicer in our English Bible. And he says here, uh, he gives three warnings. And you can see them in your text. They're set apart by the word before. Before the decree takes effect, before there comes upon you, and before there comes upon you, uh, before there comes upon you the burning anger and the day of the Lord. And so the three warnings are this, that we need to seek the Lord before the appointed time. That is, before the decree takes place. Um, today, we might say it uh, a little bit differently. Um, let's jump ahead here in the slides. 
Oh, there we go. Uh, before the appointed time, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, today is the day of salvation. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. There's, there's a time that comes when we are called to account, where we stand before God and have to give an account. And so, as we talked about last week, what, what Zephaniah is trying to get us to do is to live with the end in mind. And one of the things that we need to think about is standing before God and giving an account. Now, those of us who have grown up in the New Testament church, we say, well, we're covered by the blood of the lamb. Yes, that's absolutely true. But understand, Zephaniah is talking to God's covenant people. He's talking about those who have been covered by the Passover lamb, who, who came through, who, who are God's chosen nation, and he's calling them to count for their actions today. And so we have to keep that in mind, that there is an appointed time to stand before God. And he says, second, before the anger of the Lord uh, comes upon you. And the picture here is of the Lord's anger overtaking you. You know, there's a, there's a time when you think everything is going just fine. And, and Zephaniah is saying, can you hear that in the distance? Are you listening to that? Something is coming. And it, and it comes quickly. I was driving to church early this morning, and, you know, I, I'm thinking about different things. I have music on, and, and I'm just driving. And all of a sudden, the car next to me decides he needs to be in my lane right now, where I am currently occupying. And, you know, I, I gave the honk, and I, I, uh, I held my tongue, and I, but you know how quick, like, I was so calm. And all of a sudden, your heart is pounding. You're, I'm, I'm awake. <laughs> I, I mean, it's amazing how quickly something can, and what Zephaniah is saying is, is the Lord is coming. Can you hear that? And his anger is going to overtake you if you're not careful. Third, before the day of the Lord. Um, we, we, we had talked about the day of the Lord last week, and it's this idea, again, of this judgment that's going to come, but also for it is, it's justice for God's people, and it's judgment upon those who are complacent or who are not living according to God's covenant. So he gives us three warnings. So now Zephaniah gives us three calls. Gather together those who are, and the general overarching theme is the humble of the land. And the picture here, because we've already read chapter one and we've looked at that, that this is a small group. There are those who are willing to listen. And I, I was reading a, as I often do, I was reading a, a theological book this week, and, and this person just kind of, I love it when people draw diagrams. It's like, oh, that makes, makes more, more sense, right? You have, you have Cain and Abel, right? And Cain kills Abel, and then you have Seth, and then we follow, we follow, we all the Canaanites through Seth and all these evil, but then we follow the other line and it's got Abraham and different things. And then we, we keep seeing this small group broken off from the larger group that we're following through the story. And now we've been following Israel and it even becomes a smaller group, those who are actually listening. And so I, I say to you, those of you who are sitting here, those of you who are watching, are you listening? 
Is your heart ready to receive? It's a humble heart. And so he says three things. First of all, seek obedience. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Are you obeying? You know, we, we sum it up with love God, love people, make disciples. Are you doing that? We sum it up with love your neighbor as yourself. I always love it when people say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm, really? I mean, because loving our neighbor as ourself is, that's hard. It's really hard. And so, are we obeying what God has called us, who he's called us to be? Second, he says, Seek righteousness. Righteousness is a, is a word that has uh, lost its meaning in our society. Usually when, when we're saying somebody is righteous, we're, we're either using it as, as uh, some sort of vernacular that just means cool, or, or we're using it most likely as, that's a holier-than-thou person. They think they're righteous. The Bible uses the word righteous a lot, and it calls us to be righteous. And some of us, have it's been such a negative word, it's like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be self-righteous. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be righteous? Righteous is a, it is a uh, being right in the eyes of God. It's right actions. Righteous isn't just a position, it's actually an action. Are we doing right things in the eyes of God? What about our words? Are they right words in the ears of God? What about our attitude? Is it a right attitude before our God? And so he is, he is saying to the people, seek righteousness. Now, we all know, we, I hope know, that we're not going to be 100% right in the eyes of God, for we've all fallen short. But that doesn't mean that we give up. We, we receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ because of God's love, and he is in the process of molding us and shaping us into his image. We submit ourselves to that. How do we do that? Well, Zephaniah says, seek humility. He repeats it. Hey, all the humble of the, of the land, seek humility. Why, why does he say that? Because it's important. What God is looking for is a heart. A heart that is willing to say, I'm or I was. I was wrong. I, I need to repent. And too often, when we are get worked up, and think about maybe a fight you had with your spouse or a coworker or whatever, we are much more willing to say that, oh, I'm sorry you, were, you felt that way. I'm sorry you interpreted me that way. But to actually say, I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry our relationship was damaged. I'm sorry I was wrong. We have struggled with that. So God is calling us out 
Are we willing to be humble before him? And the example of Scripture is between Saul and David. Saul, I mean, if you read the story, I just, I love it. Saul, he preempts Samuel and he gives a sacrifice he wasn't supposed to give. It was Samuel's job. He was supposed to wait for Samuel. He got impatient waiting and it's because he had to go to battle and he wanted God's blessing and so he hurried it up. As soon as he does it, of course, Samuel shows up. And says, the kingdom has been taken from you. Wow, okay. He's called to account. Think about David. David commits adultery. Murder. And yet the Bible says, David was a man after God's own heart. And sometimes I have trouble reconciling that. But when Saul was called out by Samuel, you know what Saul did? You took too long. It's not my fault, it's your fault. The people were getting anxious. We had something to do here. Come on, prophet, pick it up a little bit. This isn't on me. When David was confronted, he repents. He is humble before God. And the Holy Spirit convicts you. Do you tighten up? Or do you drop to your knees? When your friend loves you enough to say something, do you say, ah, that's the way I am? Or do you drop to your knees? Timothy Keller wrote this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at this very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hoped. He speaks first to the shameless nation and then to the humble. What is Zephaniah saying to us today? I want to remind you from chapter 1, just real briefly, What does a life without God look like? It's a life without justice. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence. And we said there's an idiom there that we may not fully understand, but the idea is the injustice that's being practiced in these houses. A life without God is a life without justice. It's a life without truth. In verse 12, we talked about those who are complacent, those who say, you know, I don't know. God's neither going to do good nor evil. It's just kind of whatever it is. And they're not seeking the truth. They're not listening to the truth. And he goes on to say it's a life without satisfaction. Their goods shall be plundered, their houses laid to waste. Though they build the houses, they shall not inhabit them. Could you imagine that idea of building a house? It's like the house is finally finished. You don't get to move in. God's going to give it to somebody else. That's, That's the definition there of a life without satisfaction. A life with without God is a life that you're always striving and never getting there. This week's reading in the Exodus story. A few things just really stood out to me as I was reading it this week. In fact, 
I had to go back and highlight some of the repeated phrases. And, and one of them is that, that Moses keeps saying, and Pharaoh sometimes repeats it, let my people go <coughs> that they might serve me. You know, deliverance is not so that you get to do what you want to do. Deliverance is so you get to do what you were designed to do. Let me just say that again. It sounds very different because we talk about deliverance. We talk about salvation. Salvation is not so that you can do whatever you want to do without fear of going to hell. Salvation is so that you can do what you were designed to do, which is to serve and love God. And so he keeps repeating that. And, and you know, early on, the people, the people themselves aren't even hearing them. And, and things get harder before they get better. And, and at one point in time, it's it said in the story, Israel didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Sometimes we fail to hope in what God is going to do we fail to see the vision of what deliverance is going to look like because our spirits are broken. Our journey's been hard. And so God calls this group of people saying, there is something better out there. You got to get off this wheel. It's a life without a future. First, uh, verses two and three, I'm going to sweep everything away. And it's a life, a life without God is a life without peace. Verse 17, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Look, when we, when we stay in opposition, whether that's as somebody who's unwilling to bow our knee and declare Jesus Christ as Savior, or as those who have been in the church for a long time and really don't want to change or or move our direction of where we are. We're just fine waiting. I, I wonder what it would be like if Jesus showed up today. I don't know if as a pastor, sometimes over the years, people have popped in on us. Now, many of you, maybe you like that sort of thing. But you know, when you have kids and a dog and somebody pops in, what, what are you doing? You're quickly trying to pick stuff up. You're trying to clean things up. You know, there's an old poem and it just asks the question, if Jesus came to your house for a day, I mean, what would you have to pick up? What would you have to change? What? And are there things that you would say differently? Is your, would your attitude change? Are you ready? What does it mean here? He says it three times to seek the Lord. And I, I just recognized as I, I was studying, and, and this, is, this is Dave, this may not have been you, but Paul quotes, I think it's in Romans chapter 5, and I, I could be wrong, he quotes one of the Psalms, he quotes it according to the Septuagint, not according to the way that your Hebrew or your, your English translation translated, but he says, nobody seeks after God. Paul quotes, and I've heard that so many times. And so I, that's been ingrained in my mind. It's not actually what the what the psalm quite says or what it meant by that. It's actually talking about those who are atheists that don't seek after God. No, no, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so the idea, when I say seek after God, you say, well, Dave, nobody seeks after God. Well, let me, let me just, this is a, a big term in the Bible. So what does it mean to seek after the Lord? 
First of all, it's just a general term for those who have already put their trust in God. Look at Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. It's on the screen there. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Now notice there he says, you don't forsake those who seek you. And yet Paul says, no one seeks after God. So there's a contrast here. And what it's saying is, look, those people that are, that are of God's covenant group, they're called those who seek after God. Second, the opposite term is also used for those who do not seek or trust God. Uh, again, Psalm chapter 10, next Psalm over. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Right? There, there's actually part of what uh, Paul is quoting there in Romans. And it's the idea of the wicked. The wicked group don't seek after God. Now, now let me give you just a little illustration of this. And I wasn't planning on talking about this. But you know, you have this story that Jesus tells in the New Testament of the man who died, the poor man that died and was at Abraham's bosom. And the rich man who died who was in Hades. And I love that story because the rich man says, hey, have, I think it's Lazarus, have Lazarus come over here, dip his finger in the water to cool my tongue because I'm in agony here, Abraham. Now, this guy is in hell. And he doesn't look at Abraham and go, man, Abraham, I really blew it. I misunderstood the covenant. I misused my wealth. I mistreated that man. No, what he says is, hey, send the boy over here to comfort. He's still living like he's a rich man. And Abraham said, I can't do that. And he says, well, then send, send somebody to my brothers so that they may not end up here. What is he saying? God is unfair. Give my brothers a special something so that they don't end up. He is in hell. He's still angry at God and has no interest in him. And the point is this. Those whose hearts are not seeking after God, they're not going to. Nothing is going to, in fact, Abraham says, even if somebody rose from the dead, hint, hint, it's about to happen. Spoiler alert. They wouldn't believe. When we talk about seeking the Lord, especially in the prophets, it's a call to return. And that's what it is here. What is he saying? It's like, you're the covenant people. Return, seek, go back and seek God. Return, repent. It's a term that actually does refer to, as God refers to his covenant people as those who seek after him. And so, man, to be called one who's seeking the Lord is a, is, is a great thing. And it's a term referring to seeking the presence of the Lord. Um, in uh, First Chronicles, it says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. You know, the Bible, the gospel is not just that Jesus died and, uh, for your sins so that you can go to heaven. The concept of the New Testament, what Jesus says, is repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God exists of God's people living in God's place under God's rule, enjoying his presence. And, and I've said this before around here, but I just want to say, look, if you want heaven, but you don't want to be about Jesus, 
That's, heaven is not what you're looking for. It's actually the other place. Because heaven, the kingdom of God, will be saturated with the presence of God. The opportunity to walk with him in the cool of the evening. It's all about being in the presence of God. Seek his presence. So how do we seek the Lord? Um, This Colossians verse just came to mind. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Not are we just seeking God, but we're seeking the things of God. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above. Seek the things that are above your mind. Not only things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How do we seek the Lord? Well, it's been clear in this passage, we need to seek him humbly. We need to say, man, I, I, I haven't been right all the time. I, I haven't done things right all the time. I haven't had the right attitude all the time. Uh, my mind has not been on the right things all the time. And I need to come before God and humbly seek him. God, wh- who is it you want me to be? What is it you're calling me to do? In Psalm, uh, we read Psalm 10.4, in the pride of their face, the wicked does not seek him. Look, are we seeking God? Are we humbly seeking him? Seek the Lord in surrender. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That sounds, I mean, how many of you have quoted that one in your head? You've been around church. Draw near near to God and he will draw near to you. You can put that on your Facebook page today. It's really wonderful. But the second part of it is, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do you want to draw near to God? then surrender yourself before him. Repent. Psalm 119 says, Blessed are those who keep his his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. So seek the Lord through repentance. Uh, We've said that word several times, or I've said that that word. Isaiah says, For thus says the one who is the right is, uh, who is on high and lifted up, not all of this is on the, on the screen, it couldn't all fit, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. It's interesting what he does here. Remember Hebrew poetry, the first line relates to the second, and he says, I am, I'm in heaven, I'm on high, And I dwell with, and you're going, ah, I know what's coming. The low people, we're the low people. No, he goes a little bit deeper than that. Those who are contrite of heart, those who are repentant, that's who I dwell with. And also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit, to receive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. Seek the Lord through repentance. And then seek the Lord with the right priorities. But seek first the kingdom of God. Boy, I'm telling you, it's a verse that you're, you're probably familiar with. If you've been around the church for a long time, if you haven't, don't worry about it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah, I know that. Boy, we should all have that, I was going to say tattooed, but I know who I'm talking to, stamped somewhere 
where we can always see it. Maybe on the back of our right hand, every time we grab our wallets, seek first the kingdom of God. It should be a banner across our Amazon account or Wayfarers or whatever it is for you. Guns and more guns, whatever your website is. I know these people. Seek first the kingdom of God. When is it worth thinking about kingdom things? About people coming to Christ? About kingdom priorities? Some application and action this morning. Um, I just really, as I read this again, and the idea of seeking the Lord's presence. I know that that's really, that's really difficult for some of us. Um, we're, we're Baptists and we want to just read Bible and stuff and apply it to our life, but what does it mean that the Holy Spirit indwells me? What does it mean that he guides me? How do I enter into his presence? Maybe that's just your prayer this week. God, I, I want to experience more of your presence. Seek the Lord's priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God. What What priorities do you have for my life, for my family, for my checkbook, for my time, for my relationships, for my church? What what does it look like for me to seek your priorities? I I tell you, chapter one was so harsh, so difficult. I I don't want to experience that. I want to seek the Lord's peace. And I, I just want to say to you, if you're here today, if you're listening, peace only comes through following Jesus Christ. Peace only comes when we repent of our sin and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. Peace will never come trying to do it on our own. Peace will never come by just meeting our own needs. Peace only comes when we receive the peace giver and trust in him. And we sang a great song. I I asked Chris this morning, I said, what's the new song? And he, he, he shared a little bit about what it was. He goes, I don't know if it fits with the sermon. I said, If for God so loved the world that he gave his only son doesn't fit with any sermon, then I'm preaching the wrong thing, right? Like peace only comes because God loved you enough to say, I'm going to pay the, I'm going to buy that person back from their slavery. I'm going to deliver them. I love them. Peace only comes through Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, as soon as you leave this place, as soon as you turn off whatever feed you're listening to, Satan will want to give you 10 different things that he will try to convince you will bring peace, and it won't. It's a lie. It's his job. It's his character. And I hope if you remember just one thing today, that you will remember that peace only comes through Jesus Christ. And we only get to him 
by humbling ourselves and repenting and receiving the gift that he has to offer. And if you need to talk about that, if you need to reach out and receive that, please contact us. Please talk with us. We want to lead you in that. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you as we come to your word, wherever we are, in some what seems like to us obscure prophet of the Old Testament, it brings us right back to Jesus. It brings us right back to your love. It brings us right back to your call for us to repent. It brings us right back into relationship with you because that's what you desire. And God, I pray that those who are, who, who are holding on to, to some hard hearts, some hurts, some different things, would today just be able to say, God, I surrender to you. Mold me and shape me into the person that you want me to come. I, I want to experience transformation. God, as a church, we want to experience transformation. As individuals, as families, God, our families under so much attack. Our families want to experience transformation. We want transformation for our kids and our grandkids. God, we pray for more of your presence that would lead us to our knees that we might experience in a whole new way your love and presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.